best things you can do to create strong, healthy relationships is one, start searching for people's greatness and stop looking at what's wrong with them. Because another guarantee of human behavior is we're all insecure about something and everyone's working on something. It's a guarantee. If you're looking for a flaw, you're going to give yourself confirmation bias and you will find flaws. Give yourself a confirmation bias of positive. Look for the greatness because everyone's got it. So you first find their greatness. And the second is look for their priorities of what's important to them and be a resource for them. And the only way you can do both those things is adopt curiosity. There's nothing better to start making human connections than being curious about another human being, where they come from, what their backgrounds are, what their thoughts and opinions are without judging them. Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by Robin Drake, founder of the People Formula and former FBI special agent and chief of the FBI Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. With a mix of scientific training and super practical experience, Robin is a world-leading expert in building rapport, creating trust, and sizing people up. So Robin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Max. And uh, that's a great intro. I like that. It made me so much better than I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Very well deserved. You should get this like every single day. Uh, (laughs) Just tell my wife. (laughs) Yeah, just address you like that in the morning, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Way to make you feel good. Yeah, no, I want to get started with you with um, General Patton and, you know, the effects of of the movie Patton on on your thinking as, as a little child around what leadership actually is and why, you know, Patton's idea of quote unquote being a bitch doesn't really work long term and actually inspiring people to, you know, work with you to, you know, take inspired action. Wow. That is, um, I have never, ever been asked that question before, Max. So a uh, great job of actually watching. And yeah, <laughs> I actually, you know, one of my slides, I had, you know, it's called uh, where it all began. And yeah. yeah, so when I was growing up, um, you know, I remember when uh, the movie Patton came out in the seventies, you know, and George C. Uh, George C. Scott played him and that version of leadership, um, was kick him in the pants, poke him in the eye and yell really loud. And, and, you know, when we're young, we actually get these behaviors kind of reinforced as leaders. You know, when you think about, you know, if you're ever on a sports team or if you're ever on a, in a club or something like that, when you're young, you know, an adult will say, um, put you in charge and then give you a task. And generally the task is to move or get a group of your peers to do something. And you can, as kids generally do, you start out nice, say, hey guys, we've got to do this, X, Y, and Z. And generally as kids are, they ignore you because they want to do their own things. And so, the adult will, and so the adult will say, well, you just need to be a better leader. You need to be a stronger leader. And so you start yelling, cajoling, you know, poking and prodding, you know, which is exactly what you see George C. Scott doing in the movie. And the, the kids wind up doing it. And then that behavior then gets rewarded by the adult. Say, hey, you, you're a strong leader. Look what you got them to do. And so at a young age, a lot of times, not everyone, but a lot of times we are uh, molded by um, the, the type A, you know, aggressive personality for leadership. When in reality, you know, that could be, it's anything further from the truth. You know, leadership, you know, my, my, my three core principles and tenets of leadership are really simple. Uh, one is, you know, leaders accomplish missions and, and everyone, by the way, leadership's not about title and position. Leadership is about having a goal and objective and a, and a, and a way to get there. 
um, that makes you a leader in my book. And so, you know, so leaders accomplish whatever their priorities, goals, and missions are. The second is they create an environment of safety and security and prosperity for themselves and others, both mentally and physically. And the third is they're a resource for the success and prosperity of those around them without expectation or reciprocity. So leadership is, is the ultimate form of giving to me. It's wow. about giving yourself as a resource for others and while accomplishing missions and missions, you know, aren't about themselves either. It's about the goals and objectives of an organization, a, a nation, um, uh, an organization, any of those things. So that, so that's where it all started. So it started with me seeing the movie Patton and learning through my life experiences that that uh, it's not, believe me, Patton was a, a great World War II commander uh, in general, but you know, what they portrayed in the movie was sensationalized for yeah. Hollywood. Um, and was, and what I took away from it was the, the wrong, not the wrong, the, the ineffective aspects of it, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> it is so fascinating because this is really like, there's this aspect of giving or, or, focusing on the other people and their needs that just speaks from your work, right? Where you always focus yeah. on like lifting other people up, right? And I think this is such a key aspect that not enough people talk about when it comes to influence is, is like you actually helping the other person also achieve their goals, right? You being this, this almost selfless like resource for them. And then as a byproduct of you helping them, they're also going to help you achieve those goals that you, know, you have where your boss tells you to achieve, right? I find that so fascinating. Yeah, it's, you know, it's been the most empowering. I got goosebumps when you're even saying it. It's, it's been the most empowering, enlightening thing in my entire life was, you know, when you're in your, especially as a type A like I am, you know, you look at my biome background, Naval Academy, Marine Corps, FBI, all those things. That is a hardcore type A. And, our, and the personality of, of people like me are generally the things you can do for yourself to make yourself look great. Um, and that's generally what people do in their 20s and 30s is they think the way to prosper in life and get ahead in, in the things you're trying to do is by making yourself look good. But in reality, what I found as I matured and started realizing the impact I have on other people and the cause and effect of my behaviors was that it's not about how you make them feel about you. It's how the, you make them feel about themselves and how you can be a resource for them. And if you, you know, and so, you know, Harvard University, this great study back in uh, the spring of 2012, and I've talked about it numerous times where they saw that when people are, are sharing their own thoughts and opinions about themselves, their brain is rewarding them with dopamine. And we roughly do this 40% of every day. And so if you take your 40% and give it over to someone else, so their brain is rewarding them for engaging you. So you make it about them and you make it about them by seeking their thoughts and opinions. You talk in terms of their priorities. You validate them without judging them and you give them choices. Their brain's rewarding them for that. And so people will ask me then, so when Robin, when do you get your brain reward? When do you feel good? And I said, well, let's go back to those three anchors I already mentioned, Max, is one, um, you know, that leaders do. The, the third one is your resource for their success and prosperity without expectation or reciprocity. And so when we accomplish our own personal goals in life, our brain rewards us. And if one of your goals in life is to be a resource for other people's success, when you see people successful, you are rewarded chemically for it in the brain. I've literally gotten addicted to watching people being successful from anything I've been able to do for them. Uh, and, and, and if you ever, you know, I think the easiest analogy in the world for people to um, have is if you have ever taught, mentor, and guided anyone, um, either as a young adult, you know, you're a mentor to someone or as a parent, you know, like my, people, my greatest impact in the world is my kids. I, for all the things I've done professionally in my life, you know, recruiting spies and all that, 
I get the greatest joy in my life of watching my kids be prosperous and being a part of their lives. That is hands down the greatest thing in the world because I, what am I? I'm an available resource for their success and prosperity without expectation or reciprocity. That is it. Um, I mean, that's why I'm excited today. You know, I was talking, you know, before the show started, I'm saying, you know, I'm going to go see my daughter. My daughter, you know, graduated this past June. She's only 22 years old and she's a nurse. And she is doing phenomenally well. You know, here we are in, in the middle of a pandemic where people are losing jobs or having a hard time made, making ends meet. And she's prospering. She's doing very well. My son's at the Naval Academy as a junior there. Um, both of my kids are doing exactly what they set off in life to do, which is beyond my imagination. Because who does that? Who actually sets a goal in life and actually achieves it? Yeah. <laughs> People, I mean, I didn't. I mean, people ask me all the time, so how do you get to run the FBI behavioral analysis program? It's easy. I failed at everything else I wanted to do. This <laughs> Literally, this was not my plan. It was, <laughs> it was not, <laughs> my plan was be like Patton. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I, feel, I really, and I would be remiss if we didn't dive more into, into the whole spy thing and, and how you got to, to, to that place, right? Um, <laughs> But before what you mentioned there, um, the dopamine that's being released when you talk about yourself and giving your share to other people, that I think if people understand that, that you can get excited about other people, whether it's your friends or your colleagues or your family, like achieving their goals. When you get like that dopamine hit from that, like there's an endless amount of potential for joy and happiness in our lives, right? Like when, when you yeah. just get genuinely happy and excited about other people succeeding, there's such a tremendous power in you also feeling the exact same levels of joy and, and fulfillment that I found so powerful. So how do people make that shift, right? Because it is a very rare thing in society to, to focus more on like, hey, I want my best friend to succeed. Almost more, I'm not going to say more, but, but like that's a, a vital part of, of the focus on our daily life. Like how do people make that shift? Um, the, the greatest challenge to that is our own ego, vanity, and insecurities. Um, I, I say the first thing you've got to try to do the best you can every single day is to like yourself. Yeah. Have no sh- I, I think the, the greatest detriment to our own success and being able to take joy in others, people's success, is, is our own sense of shame, our own sense of um, self-loathing, um, beating down ourselves. Um, it's... It's, it's horribly detrimental because as soon as we start feeling those feelings, um, we think then we have to put a false facade on in front of other people to self-promote. And when we're too busy self-promoting ourselves because of that self-hate we have, um, we tend to not be able to take joy in other people's success. You know, because we're all on our own individual personal paths of what we're supposed to get out of this life. I mean, a greatest example, I think, for me right now is, you know, I'm, I'm a professional speaker. I'm a teacher and trainer and share of, of things like we're talking about today. And I have good numbers of friends that are doing exactly the same thing. You know, we all have our different framing of our backgrounds and the tools and, and techniques and how we're presenting it. But we're really, you know, if you're if you're a competitive person, a type A person, you look at these people that are in the same area as, as competitors and you get resentful or jealous of their success. And that can be that's nothing but further from the truth. You know, actually, the people I interact with closely that are in the same genre, we celebrate each other's success. We actually help each other be successful, even though, because there's no competition. It's about helping each other and being resources for each other in each other's lives. And so getting to that is first um, 
being comfortable with yourself, um, letting go of your insecurities the best you can. And then the other thing that creates, starts creating um, your inner light, as I call it, is strong, healthy relationships. And, and one of the best things you can do to create strong, healthy relationships is one, start searching for people's greatness and stop looking at what's wrong with them. Because another guarantee of human behavior is we're all insecure about something and everyone's working on something. It's a guarantee. If you're looking for a flaw, you're going to give yourself confirmation bias and you will find flaws. Yeah. Give yourself a confirmation bias of positive. Look for the greatness because everyone's got it. So you first find their greatness. And the second is look for their priorities of what's important to them and be a resource for them. And the only way you can do both those things is adopt curiosity. There's nothing better to start making human connections than being curious about another human being, where they come from, what their backgrounds are, what their thoughts and opinions are without judging them. Because there is no right and wrong in my book. There's just is. You know, everyone's context is their own context from their own personal experiences, their own background and beliefs. Um, fact, I'm, I'm doing something interesting right now. I do a lot of walking every day um, as my kind of my, my mental reset as well as thought processes for the things I want to do. And I actually started doing a lot of audio books online. Uh-huh. And I'm actually the greatest joy I'm having is I, I'm listening to people and their situations that are completely different from mine, um, belief systems, ethics, morals, um, and I'm getting context. Every time I listen to someone, I get a new context and that curiosity just spikes and I start understanding their behavior even more. So, because again, it goes down to that deep understanding of others. Yeah, you know, all of this is so fascinating, especially this idea that like we, we have to deal with our own insecurities and fears and, and our own ego first oftentimes, right, before going out in the world. So it's something that like, I think for all of our, our listeners here, like you probably know that kind of person, right, that is so insecure in themselves, they have to talk about themselves all day long, right? Like there's no other topic than how great they are because inside of themselves, they don't feel good enough yet, all right? And so it is almost a sign of, of I guess, strength, of inner strength and self-confidence to be able to not talk about yourself and focus completely on the other person. So I love what you're saying here. Yeah, and, and the thing is, when, when someone does a lot of that kind of self-promotion, you know, just realize that they are in, you, you are causing them to be insecure about something in the moment. There's something about you that's, that's spiking that up. So I always like to try to figure out what the insecurity is, validate it, so they can kind of calm down and realize, just be yourself. I mean, I, I like you for who you are. You don't have to try to sell yourself to me. Um, I mean, I, I mean, who hasn't experienced that, that, you know, you just like people for who they are, not their title and position, you know, cause people don't care about your title and position. They just care about how you treat them. That's it. You know, titles and positions get you about five seconds of interest. And after that, who, who the heck cares? So yeah, I mean, nothing could be further from the truth and just be that curiosity. It's just a phenomenal thing. I, I, I see life as one great big reality show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that. And I really want to dive later into, into really the specifics of like how you can talk to people and how you can get that interest, how you can earn more than, you know, five seconds of actual curiosity. But not really want to want to learn more about this, you know, the, the career you mentioned, right? And like <laughs> almost <laughs> accidentally, I guess, <laughs> ending up All at right. the FBI as a spy catcher. So, so how does someone, you know, how, how do you get in a field? And like, what were some of those, those like struggles that you mentioned before that, that ultimately led you down a path of, of becoming this kind of spy catcher? Um, 
It, I mean, it was, as I said, the, uh, you know, I, I got to where I did because I failed at the first things I wanted to do. I mean, I went, you know, my, my, my lifelong goal when I was young, my means goals, as I call them, not the ends goals, my means goals, the things I thought I needed to do to get to the ends goals, which is I want to become a great inspirational leader. That was the end. I want to become a, a great human being and a great leader. Um, my path I thought I needed to accomplish was go to the Naval Academy. And so it took me an extra year to get in there. It almost took me an extra year to get out. <laughs> <laughs> because uh -huh. I want, I went there. I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. I wanted to be uh, then go Navy pilot. I wanted to be like a Blue Angel. Um, I wanted to be, become a test pilot, astronaut. I mean, I I was on a course. All of it. Huh? That's what I wanted, and I wound up uh, failed out of aerospace engineering, major in political science, um, and then uh, my eyes went bad. Um, my my sophomore year there so i couldn't fly because back then you couldn't have corrective vision. even though now my eyes are still 2020 it's it's ridiculous how <laughs> I, I got misdiagnosed uh, so wow. i couldn't fly um so i wanted to go in marine corps instead of navy and then i mean everything just went sideways and when i was at uh, my last duty station in the marine corps i was at paris island south carolina training recruits i was a, a company commander down there and we had a recruiter from the FBI come down and he said, Hey, I think Marine Corps officers make great FBI agents. I never had considered anything like that in my life, but I was going to get out of the Marine Corps at the time. I'd been in five years and I had literally, you know, here I am 27 years old. I had two questions. Even back then I was always thinking in the future. I said, um, does all my military time count? He goes, yes. So I was already bringing in nine years of, of government service into a government job. So that's good. Um, it counted towards uh, your leave. So I got more leave every year for that <laughs> and retirement. And then my second question was, uh, what's the retirement rate? In other words, how many, how many people that come on no, board? What <laughs> I did because I was, you know, since I, had, since I had no idea about the job, I was curious, do people like this job? Yeah. And the, way, the, only way, the only measure I had was how many people start it and go to retirement. Mm -hmm. And he wow. said 95 to 98% of the agents that come on board go to retirement. I said, all right, they must wow. like the job. Sign yeah. me up. So I, I went through the process. <laughs> And then get into counterintelligence. That was that was a, 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 a happen chance as well. I get assigned to New York City, um, which is not my first choice, um, <laughs> just because you know you make the same money in New York as you do anywhere else, and so New York was a very expensive place to live. Mm -hmm. um, but I was at my first firearms training up there. And I, it was like I'd been in the office three months. You go through lots of rotations, so you hadn't been assigned your permanent squad yet. And I'm at firearms training. You do, we do it four times a year in the FBI. And um, I was wearing a Marine Corps baseball hat, you know, because I was a former Marine. That's what I wore. And standing on either side of me, these really, really senior agents. Um, and one of the guys on my left says, hey, uh, you're a former Marine. I go, yes. And he goes, so was I. He goes, what squad you on? Because New York's really big. You don't know everyone. There's like 12 to 1300 agents uh, in New York. Even on the day I left New York City to transfer, I didn't. I was riding down the elevator, um, and I didn't know anyone on, on the elevator. I mean, it was just that's that crazy. And so he goes, he goes, why don't you come to our squad? And I go, what do you do? And he goes, well, we work counterintelligence. And I go, what's that? <laughs> he goes, he goes, well, we work, um, you know, our, our, our adversaries are the Russian military intelligence um, agency, which is the GRU. And he said, we're all former military on a squad, and our job is to try to recruit spies. And I go, that sounds really cool. <laughs> and so I, I literally, you know, petitioned, you know, the, the squad supervisor, an opening just happened to open up at the same time that I was getting off rotation. And I got on the squad, and my job became trying to recruit spies. Uh, and it was a great great time. I had great teachers, mentors, and guides, no doubt. Yeah, that just sounds like an insane experience. So how can people, you know, 
um, envision that sort of daily life, I guess, of, of, of a spy catcher? Like, what do your daily routines sort of look like? What, what does it entail? I love relating it to what everyone can experience and understand in life, and that's sales. I was a salesman. You know, you're always selling yourself and you're selling a product. And my product was American patriotism. You know, I was selling a service. You know, you want to serve the American people because our, our end goal was protect national security of the United States. And so my job was to sell that concept. My, my clients, my only potential clients were Russian intelligence officers. And so, so the challenge of that is, is first, how many times you think a Russian intelligence officer is going to want to buy my product? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that's the first challenge is that you're selling a product that generally people don't want to buy. Mm. Um, the second challenge of the sales job of mine is that by treaty, it's actually illegal for me to make an approach, initiate contact. In other words, I was illegal. It was illegal for me to do a cold call of one of my potential clients. And so that's the second challenge. And then the third challenge is, you know, when you're in law enforcement, you, you figure that people have a compulsion to have to talk to you because they've generally either suspected of doing something wrong or have done something wrong. But in this case, you know, when, when you're dealing with foreign intelligence officers, which 99% of the time they're here under diplomatic cover, so they're diplomats uh, for me in New York, they're diplomats mm -hmm. at the United Nations, you know, the amount of legal activity they're doing in the conduct of their work as, you know, intelligence officers is 99% legal. They're, they are being tasked with information gaps of knowledge by their countries, and their job is to collect information to fill those information gaps. You know, a, a great analogy right now in the world what's going on, you know, I guarantee you that, you know, an information gap that they're collecting on are, are two primary things. Um, how the United States is dealing with covid mm -hmm. And, you know, from cities to counties to municipalities to, you know, basically that. Yes, that definitely the research, which is proprietary, so that would be illegal. Um, but generally how we deal with, you know, that kind of situation, emergency responses and stuff in certain areas. Um, FEMA has always been a big interest, like how we deal with natural disasters. Wildfires in California, um, how we handle those, because I think we're the best in the world at dealing with that kind of uh, thing as well. And so none of that's illegal, but also it's open source. And so how do you make open source of value? Well, you have to source it to individuals in positions of knowledge. And so they'll look at open source information, and then they'll talk to individuals and create relationships with people in positions knowledge like researchers and think tankers and, and and people that run these kinds of organizations and corporations and that becomes sourced to individuals and now it becomes intelligence and that's what they're there to collect so that's not illegal yeah. it's just it's intelligence and so those are the three challenges and so as i always say you know so how do you sell how do you recruit a spy you don't just like you really don't sell a product all you're doing is you're identifying the priorities of the other individuals that are your potential clients and then you're offering resources in terms of those priorities you know and, and for gaps in their lives that's what we do when we're selling things and the same thing when you're recruiting spy you're in identifying the individuals that one of their priorities might be that they don't want their kids to grow up in the kind of regime that they're growing up in, that they want um, a different healthcare system for their elderly. They want uh, different opportunities for the children in education. Well, that's a priority. I have resources I can help with yeah. and I can share my priorities with them about the intelligence gaps I have about your 
things that you're doing, the things you're targeting, so I can actually help protect our infrastructure, our economic infrastructure, um, against people that want to undermine it. So it's really just sales. And so the daily activity of me was really looking at my potential clients every day as these intelligence officers and trying to identify which ones might have priorities that overlap with the resources I have. Wow, you know, it's so fascinating because like, like you say, like you don't have money to offer, right? Which like that would be the go-to thing that like people think of probably, right? It's like you offer money in exchange for information, but you really a, have that, that relationship, great, right? You have to. And that's a great thing you bring up because what's money get you? Well, money gets you things. What kind of things are you looking for? You're looking for things that are going to do the, 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 the thing that makes every single human being exceptionally predictable. We're always going to act in our own best interest in terms of safety, security, and prosperity for ourselves and our loved ones. And so all I have to do is what, figure out what you think safety, security, and prosperity looks like from your point of view, and now I know what you're going to do. It's very predictable. And so money gets you things in terms of your safety, security, and prosperity. So money is just a, a, it's a means to the ends. I call it that means goals. Um, I always, I'm always looking at, well, what are you looking for in the end? You know, how does that look to you? Uh, and believe it or not, out of all the um, operations I worked, you know, money was talked about way down the road. Um, it was never the upfront thing you ever discussed. It was literally months down the road of having a dialogue and, and building that relationship. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, the finance world, you know, where you have customer relations and before someone gives you their life savings to invest, you do, you know, the, the relationship developer for the finance group, you know, develops a relationship to understand what your goals and priorities are before anyone even gives money you know, to be invested. So it's exactly the same thing. They're, they're seeing if they can trust you with their lives. They're seeing if you actually can offer, you know, the resources and, and, and security they're looking for before they even decide to, you know, keep going with it. So it's a, it's a process of relationship building and trust. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned these means and end goals twice before. So can you share right. a little bit more about like the distinction between the two? Yeah, absolutely. So in my life, and I think most of our lives, you know, we think we have to accomplish things, smaller things, and these milestones in life, which I call means goals, because it's it's that old cliche, it's the means to the end. Mm -hmm. And so these means goals are the the smaller, little more granular things you're trying to accomplish to get to the end. You know, and the ends goals being, um, you know, like for me, my ends goal at, when I worked in the FBI was protect national security, protect my community. That's an ends goal. Um, and what I've found is is that all these means goals, and for me, when I was growing up, I named a bunch of means goals, Naval Academy, um, aerospace engineering, test pilot, you know, astronaut, all those things. But those are the means to the end. And what did I say what my means goal was? I want to become an inspirational leader. You know, that was my goal. That, so, it's a, so the ends goals are kind of a state of being mm -hmm. um, of the ultimate achievement. Another ends goal for all human beings, I mentioned already, safety, security, and prosperity. So all the things we do, the means goals to get to there are the things we think we have to do first in order to get there. In reality, what I realized was is that if you focus on the ends goals first, the means goals fall into place. Because the means goals, I thought, are things I have to achieve, things I have to do. But another guarantee in life is you can't do anything by yourself. Everything requires relationships and relationships can't survive and, and begin without trust. And so, so what I did was I created my three anchor ends goals and I honor those before all things. My number one ends goals in every single situation, whether it's personal, professional, is healthy professional relationships. I always ask myself before I engage someone is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder a healthy professional relationship. 
Number two ends goal is open, honest communication and transparency because you cannot have a good, healthy relationship without that open, honest communication and transparency. And I'm the counterintelligence guy that will tell you, I don't lie. I don't use, you know, manipulation. I don't use, you know, subterfuge because if the, that's even suspected when you're having a dialogue with someone, shields go up, they won't yeah. be trusting you. And, you know, so I, I'm very big on transparency. And my third one we've mentioned already before is I, I, first and foremost, I am an available resource for your success and prosperity with no expectation of reciprocity. Available resource, meaning that I will not impose myself in your life if you don't want me. Resource for your success, I don't say I'm going to help you because that even gives a slight air of superiority, like I'm better than you at something and people don't like that. Prosperity, that's, that's very open-ended because I won't define what prosperity is. You have to define what that is for you. And again, the no expectation reciprocity. So if I honor those three ends goals first, the likelihood of my means goals, my priorities being taken care of by others is really high. But I cannot have an expectation of it because if I do, it comes back to me again. And I'm doing things for you because I have an expectation, hence manipulation. So those are the ends goals. And that's the difference between the means to the end. And if you honor relationships above all else, I guarantee you everything else will fall into place. You know, I love this so much, especially this aspect of, of becoming that, that end goal first before or using that to achieve your means goals, right? Because like you said, if you become this incredible, inspiring leader, automatically you're going to succeed in, in business, right? You're going to succeed at, at leading a team because you're already acting as that person. If you're, you know, trust, you know building trusting and, and positive relationships, that you're going to be better off because of that. And the beautiful thing about it is like you can access these states at any moment in time right? Like the end yeah. goal, it sounds like it's not the thing that like has to be, you know, 30 years down the line, but you can bring that into today or, or get some of the characteristics and already display them today. And therefore then also achieve your means goals. Yeah. Um, I do it. I, I, it's so funny because being that type A, it wasn't what I was naturally doing in life. Um, and my wife, my wife said this to me a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had, he was, you know, especially in today's world, you know, I get a lot of requests for, um, doing webinars and podcasts, you know, and, you know, and people used to pay more money for these things when, yeah. when you're doing it and now they're not. And so, Anytime I, I get, I remember a couple of weeks ago, I had a re, another request come in to do a webinar for someone and it was for a, a you know, so a not-for-profit group or something. And, and she said, how much is that one paying? And I go, I don't know, probably nothing on this one. And, and she said, I, she, we're talking about finances. And I said, my first, imp, my first inclination is not what's in it for me. My first inclination is what can I do to be a resource for them? Oh. And it, it really, it, it, that's when it kind of hit me. It's like, wow, that is actually something I've been doing a while. And what happens is that, yeah, you do a lot of work for others. And, and a lot of times, you know, you're, you know, doing right by people for people. And then the things that come out of the woodwork to, to reciprocate, come out of the, the most amazing places that like stun you sometimes. I mean, I did a, I did a, a thing for a group, a charity group a couple um, months ago and out of the blue, you know, the guy that organized it, you know, called me a couple days later and I thought he's calling me to say, Hey, I did something wrong during the, the webinar. Or nothing. <laughs> and, and actually they sent me, they sent me a check. Wow, it, it totally floored me. It totally caught me off guard. And it was because, you know, I had a relationship. I was taking care of them. And if it, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in if it costs you nothing to do it, why not? Yeah. You know, you know, taking care of someone else, you know, doing, you know, hopping on a podcast with someone or doing a webinar for a group or 
organization that is a not-for-profit trying to help others, you know, it, you know, if it costs you nothing to do that, why don't you? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting at home. Well, I certainly appreciate it. <laughs> you know, why not? You know, and it, it comes back because it just it comes back to you in a lot of different ways. And I've been, and that's why I keep doing it because why not? Yeah, no, I absolutely love this this aspect of focusing on giving to other people. And so I'm really curious about these these end goals and and finding out in other people their intentions and their goals and their you know focus areas. So how how do you go about it? You know, when you you approach someone, whether it is you know in the spy world, whether it's in business or whether it's with your friends, how do you go about really learning about their own end goals and what they actually want out of life? So. The first thing you can definitely assume um, is that peop- all people's ends goals is their safety, security, and prosperity. So I know that's what it is. I just don't know how they define it yet. And I, one of my favorite questions with anyone at any time um, generally starts out with challenges. What kind of challenges do you have in X, Y, and Z? And right now, I, I think an easy one to ask and, and identify and people have curiosity about is what kind of challenges are you facing during COVID? I mean, you and I, before we started today, you were talking about what it's like, you know, over where you are and I'm talking about what it's like here and what we just shared with each other is our daily challenges. And then we share the challenges we know about other people. You know, I have my friend in Australia, I share in her challenges and challenges are the people's current priorities. And so now you're thinking in terms of, you know, how can I be a resource for this person? And literally, you know, my friend who's in lockdown in, in uh, Australia, you know, I think about her every day is like, what kind of email can I send her? What kind of, you know, thing can I do to maybe lighten her emotional load um, that she might be going through? Um, and that's, that's one way it starts is like, how can you identify the priorities of others and the short term ones are their current challenges. And then I love this, this, I call it discovery questions, just having a curiosity is like, you know, with you, I mean, I have immense curiosity, like, how is it you're living there? Um, you know, where's, what's that background you're in? You know, you know, you know, so it's just a, a curiosity is like, wow, you know, you're in a whole different part of the world and I'm just curious about it. It's like, what's that life journey look like and how did you get there and why did you wind up making those choices? And, and it's from, and having that congruence between the curiosity and not judging it. So you have nonverbal comfort with the words that are coming out. That's how you discover priorities. And then during that, you just pay attention to the things they're saying and stop focusing on what you want to say. Because if you're focusing on the things that you want to say and, and, and sharing the anecdotes and the stories that you have to say, you're not going to listen to the words they're saying. Because I guarantee you, everything out of their mouths is a priority. And so just let go of what you want to say and pay attention to what they're saying and you're going to discover it. And then if you start putting those two together, you're going to discover the means goals that they set in their lives, which are the current short-term challenges. And ultimately, you're, you're trying to understand how they see that manifesting itself over time for their ultimate ends goals, which again is safety, security, and prosperity from their point of view for themselves. You know, it's so interesting, this, this whole process that you're walking us through here. So, so how, do you, how do you go about really then when you like meet someone new, for example, let's, let's make it super practical for our listeners. You're meeting someone new, it's like the first, you know, maybe they got the first five seconds because of their position. But after, like, how do you, what do you do then or, you know, even when it comes to like nonverbal communication, body language, like what do you do to, to keep sort of that interest in the communication alive other than what, what you just mentioned in, in terms of like really learning well, about the other person? 
Well, well, if you want, body language is easy. Make sure you're displaying comfort yourself. Um, so you want to obviously smile. People have asked me before, you know, say if you're going into a group organization, you know, a group function or going anywhere, how do you know who to approach and who to talk to? I said, it's easy. I'm looking for people smiling <laughs> because smiling is an easy, is an easy assessment of comfort. You know, you're smiling. I'm looking for, I'm doing an eyebrow elevation, you know, so you, you know, and you're doing your eyebrow flashes, you know, so anything that's up and open ventral is high comfort. So I want to be looking for that. I want to be causing that. And I also want to be displaying that as well. Palms up, always enticing, always opening. Um, those are things I want to do at least non-verbally. And, and the great thing is on Zoom calls and all this that we're doing now, you can still see it because I'm always looking just basically from the chest up because I want to be watch, watching your face and paying attention. Am I causing comfort or discomfort when we're engaging? The other thing then is, again, just have, I, I, I know I mentioned before, but it's really just curiosity about them and the current state of their lives um, without probing because again it's whatever they're comfortable sharing but if you know that's why I always open end open-ended conversation about whatever the current topic is that is on non and even if it's controversial I mean I I just don't take sides when talking to people I take curiosity as my side you know it's like if someone has a, a point of view um, that is you know mainstream or not mainstream. I just love exploring how it is they came because I guarantee you this, if someone doesn't think the way I think they have a really good reason why they don't. And I want to hear it. And so it's just having that kind of curiosity. I'm, I've, and I've interviewed and talked to so many different people throughout my life and career, because when you work national security and, and a conflict breaks out somewhere in the world, the first thing that my job was, was to talk to everyone that is here in the United States from that country in our whole area to hopefully develop trust and relationships so you can gather intelligence to help protect, you know, U.S. interests domestic and abroad and, and people. So, um, and if you go into a conversation prejudging someone with a context of what you think they're going to be, um, you're going to really send up a lot of red flags and a lot of shields and no one's going to want to talk to you. So I just, it's a lot of years of muscle memory of developing curiosity. Yeah, it really sounds like this aspect of non-judgment is really critical when it comes to exploring these, these, these things, right? Because like people oftentimes will come up with crazy stuff, quote unquote, right? That like you may disagree with where you think that's totally like, you know, either stupid or wrong or whatever it is. And so it seems like this, this aspect of non-judgment um, of like their point of view and their sort of reality that they've constructed for themselves, which obviously might also, well, you know, be more true than your own. <laughs> I guess it, it takes that open-mindedness, right? It really does. Uh, and you, you, boy, that's a beautiful way you phrase that. Um, you know, the, you know, understanding their, you know, how they constructed their, their is, you know, of what they see the world as, because that's exactly it. You know, everyone constructs it differently because of their, their ethnicity, their demographic, their gender, their orientation, um, their social and economic status, where they live. I mean, all these things impact their context because that's, you know, the third step in my code of trust is understanding the context. And what's really great is, is when you start understanding the context of another human being, that's where you can start building um, the commonalities because you don't have have to have the same experiences but the fact that we have had experiences in a certain area starts building that that commonality slash liking and for me one of my favorite questions of people especially if i don't know where you grew up and it's so different than my mine is you know tell me about a favorite family tradition you had growing up um or a tradition in your culture that i'm unaware of you know because now that starts that way back clock for an individual 
their dopamine starts flowing because it's a positive memory for them and they start sharing that tradition. And now I won't have the same tradition necessarily, but the fact is I have a family tradition as well. And so you start, so the commonality is we have traditions, you know, and so we have favorite foods, we have favorite flavors, smells, aromas, music, all these different things are things we can share with each other. Um, and that's where the commonality and that's where the understanding of context starts coming in. And, and when you start understanding that, you start understanding the path they're on. And when you start understanding the path they're on, well, you start understanding the means goals and ends goals. Yeah, so important. So can you talk to us a little bit about this path of, of creating, like, like you said, this muscle memory, this neuronal memory in your, in your brain of, of constantly engaging in these things? Because like you mentioned before, right, you were this, this type A achiever personality, right, that then had to like sort of switch your ways in order to become the person that you actually wanted to be. So, so what did that process look like for you of, of really learning to change these automatic responses? It really, it really came down to... Um, I think everyone's got a great strength and I have, you know, and everyone's got a superpower. Um, mine, I only had one. <laughs> and I think the only thing I think I was really decent at was I never placed the blame for my situation on anyone else but myself. And I was always very aware of the impact I was having on others. Granted, I wanted to be this inspirational leader, but being the type A, I was very assertive and very um, proactive and my energy and tempo was out of sync with the rest of the world. I was much higher tempo level, um, very assertive with my thoughts and opinions and that can be very off-putting to others. Now, what happened was I wasn't blind to the impact I had. I saw I caused a lot of discomfort from time to time in other people and when I caused discomfort, you know, with nonverbals, I saw eyebrow compression, you know, compression, lip with, you know, lip compression, blading withdrawing, or just they didn't want to talk to me anymore. I couldn't get them to call me back on a phone. You know, all those types of things. I was like, all right, it's not them. It's me. What am I doing wrong? What do I need to do to adjust to them? And so the first thing is understanding, you know, what was my impact on them? And I think that was huge. And so, and then when my job literally was to talk to everyone and create relationships with everyone <laughs> and you don't want to have that impact, you start understanding I have to let go of judging because and I, I think it was done to me. You know, I, we all create our own humbling moments in life. And I remember even going through the Naval Academy, um, I was judgmental. Hell, I, I grew up in the Northeast of the United States, you know, in New York. Uh, I'm an extrovert. You know, those are two bad combinations, you know, for judging. I mean, you tend to really judge people. <laughs> and, uh, and, when you, and when you're an extrovert, you tend to really say it out loud. Yeah. <laughs> and, and inevitably, what started happening to me going through college at the Academy was that I, I was judging. And ultimately what happened was uh, I wound up being roommates with a lot of the people that I wound up being very vocal about my, my judgment of them. Oh. And, they wanted to become, and what happened was the most amazing thing. They became my best friends wow. um, because I started understanding them because I was forced to live with them. And so I found in my life that I just don't allow anyone to bother me anymore. So if I, if, if you're generally off putting to me because of a different set of any of your thoughts and opinions, you're the one I want to learn the most about because I guarantee you, you, after I learn you and understand you, you're not going to bother me anymore. Yeah. Cause once I understand why you are who you are, there's a reason behind it. In other words, no one wakes up in the morning, although I get refuted this a few times. No one wakes up in the morning <laughs> and say, today I'm going to really piss everyone else off. <laughs> <laughs> Some people do, but most people don't. 
you know, and so I take it for granted that you're just being who you are. I just need to figure out why you are like you are. And so I, again, I had to do it because my job was to build relationships with everyone and sell that product. And by doing so, I, I had to put it aside. And so it really just came down to me instilling curiosity in myself, seeking the thoughts and opinions of others and not judging those thoughts and opinions when I heard them. You know, it's so interesting because it really sounds like it takes this, this immense curiosity and, and self-awareness then in terms of like studying yourself and studying the impact that you have on others, right? And studying yeah. like how, how, you know, when I come with all this energy and stuff, right, how do people respond, right? And so what I've realized personally, right, is like some people love it and other people hate it. And so sometimes, you know, you need to tone it down a little bit then uh, because it's, it's too much, so. And sometimes you can't either, you know, because I get asked, I get asked that a lot too. So, you know, like you, I could tell you have very high energy. You got lots of animation. Your tempo is really great. Um, but you're right. That can be off-putting to people. But here's the thing, you know, people aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to make an effort. And so I, I get asked this, you know, whether it's high energy and tempo or whether, you know, someone say, says to me, says, Robin, how do I counter the fact I just have natural sitting angry face and everyone, <laughs> you know, and, and I said, well, if, if, if there's something you can't do something about, you know, and you're worried it's going to make an impact negatively on them, you can, you know, what I call negate the frame. You can actually address it first with self-awareness and self-deprecating humor, and it'll go away. It's like, you know, for you, you know, it's like, hey, you know, before you start chatting with someone, you can say, hey, listen, um, I got to let you know. I have this high tempo, I'm high energy, and I'm really animated, and it can be very off-putting to you, and I'm so sorry. I'm working <laughs> on it, but there's nothing I can do about it. So if, if you if you need me to just poke me in the eye while we're chatting and I'll stop, you know, I can't say I'll hold it. You know, and, and what are we doing? You know, you're, you're saying this is who I am. I'm doing the best I can for you and let me know if it's not good enough. And again, what's that? That's you're, you're being transparent and you're being, and you made it about them. You let them know it's like, Hey, I suck at this. I'm going to do the best I can for you. Let me know if it goes too far. Um, and the same thing, you know, if, if you have natural resting angry face, you, you can say, Hey, listen, um, before we get chatting, I got to let you know, I've been told I have this angry face <laughs> and I've looked at myself in the mirror and you're right. I do. But you know what that is? That's actually when I'm actually looking like I'm angry, that's actually me really paying attention hard to you. So if you see me looking angry, Please no, I'm not. And ask me if you think so, but it's not. It's me just really paying attention, and I apologize up front for that. So, again, you're being transparent. You're being very self-aware, and you made it about them. Wow, Robin, you, you might have just changed my life with this. one <laughs> 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 you, know, you know, I think the, I, for all the people that I, I work with and coach, mentor, and guide, I get asked a lot of challenging questions sometimes. How do I deal with this, this, and this? And you know, my bottom line answer, if I can't come up with a solution for engaging, the, the, the best thing can always be is just as transparent as you can, you know, because transparency and openness really is, is such a great way to engage someone. And if they're not willing to do that with you, then that's when you start assessing is like, all right, is this going to be a healthy relationship in this particular lane? And if it's not meant to be in this particular lane of the things we're engaging, then that's fine. You don't hold it against them because we're just not meant to overlap today. That's not, that's not a problem at all, you know, because I'm always seeking that transparency with others as much as I want to be that with them. Yeah, I think it, it definitely helps in, in building these long-term relationships, right? Because I guess, especially in, in, in your spy world, right? Um, like, you need to have that, that immense amount of trust, right? Because with, without that, like, there's just, there's just nothing left anymore, right? Like, the relationship is right. broken. 
Right. And I do get asked a lot too about, you know, so Robin, you know, this is more of a transactional kind of relationship. How do I do this quickly? You know, how do I speed read someone? Yeah. And, and it's actually, that, it's not that hard either. Um, we talked about one of the aspects of it is transparency. So if, if someone is talking to you and sharing things with you and you're not understanding it um, because they're talking, you know, like us, you know, you and I are both high energy. If we're talking too fast um, and, and if I now are seeking clarity, they should have transparency and give me great clarity. And so I'm looking for transparency and clarity and you can see that right away if you're seeking it and they're given it. And the other thing too is I'm, let's, you know, it's my uh, fifth sign, you know, in my sizing people up, it's language. You know, what I'm looking for in language, I mentioned at the beginning, how you demonstrate value and affiliation to someone else. You seek their thoughts and opinions. You talk in terms of their priorities of what's important to them. You validate them without judging them and you give them choices because each, if you use one of those four things and everything you say or everything you write, the entire conversation is shifted to them. So what I'm looking for, if I'm speed reading, is, is, is someone using that language with me? Are they seeking my thoughts and opinions, talking in terms of what's important to me? Are they validating me without judging me and are they giving me choices? Now, if they're doing those four things and they have nonverbal congruence of high comfort that we already talked about, they're smiling, their heads maybe tilted to the side, exposed in a carotid artery, they're smiling, palms up, all these high comfort ventral displays while they're making the conversation about me, that's a pretty quick read that, all right, this is, this is a good start. Oh, that's, that's so good, I think. Absolutely love that. Now, on the show, we always love to celebrate failure as a stepping stone to personal development, to growth, Absolutely. to more learning. So, <laughs> do you have a favorite failure throughout your life? Um, I have lots of failures. <laughs> <laughs> All the more fun. You know, I, I don't, you know, believe it or not, I don't call them failures. I call them, uh, I call them great challenges um, because okay. life's, life's about movement and, you know, movement is challenge. And so I, I, I think probably the, the one I talk about the most, and it's in a couple of my books, is the, uh, when I was at Par uh, Cherry Point, North Carolina, it's my first duty station in the Marine Corps. And the, the, the most profound one, I think, was um, Marines are really good at fixing other Marines. <laughs> when, they're, when they're off. And so my context and my perception of myself at that point in time, I was um, 23, was that I was a great professional officer. I was life's natural leader. Um, everyone loved me. I was a great, great officer. Um, I was in a I was in a squadron in the Marine Corps, which was very bottom heavy, so that um, there's a lot of second and first lieutenants. And so there's about 14 of us. And so the the, the sequence of events here was um, I get I get my first evaluation by my, one of my commanding officers, and Marines rank each other all the time. And I was ranked last out of all the second lieutenants, uh, dead last, 14 out of 14. And that was a that was a hit uh, because I thought I was this great guy, you know, I'm a Naval yeah. Academy grad, you know. And uh, I, I go to him. I said, all right, I, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. Again, I had that self-awareness. I didn't blame the system. I, I blame myself. And I go, what am I doing wrong? And he says, you just need to be a better leader. And I go, how do you do that? And he goes, I don't know. Just do it. Because he, 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 he knew that art form, but I, I needed to make it that paint by number because I didn't know how to shift it from me to others by seeking thoughts and opinions of others, talking in terms of priority, you know, all those things we've been talking about. So that's the first one. The second time, this, and the second part of that was we, we then go out on the deployment, you know, getting ready to go out to the desert for these big exercises. And there's so all these 14 lieutenants, we're all sleeping in one tent you know, big, big, you know, community tent. And we had cots. It was uh, December in uh, North Carolina. So it was, it was chilly, not freezing, but chilly. And I had my sleeping bag up over my head, middle of the night. And I heard some snickering and some shuffling. And all of a sudden, whoop, 
you know, it's like I got, and all of a sudden duct tape starts going around me and my, <laughs> no, my sleeping bag. And they duct tape me inside my sleeping bag, strapped to my cot. And all of a sudden they lift me up and uh, out the tent we go. And they're laughing, you know, no one's beating me or anything. It's just, you know, they duct tape me so I couldn't move. And they haul me out of the, the tent and they carry me away laughing for about 30 minutes. And they set me down. I wasn't struggling. I was just kind of seeing what was going on. Yeah. And then they, <laughs> they, they, like... they, they go running off into the night somewhere. I had no idea where I was. Uh, I had a multi-tool in my sleeping bag with me, uh, luckily. And I was able to pop my head out the top of the sleeping bag and started cutting a couple lines of duct tape, pop my head out. And realized that they had left me in the middle of the uh, the Gulf. It's called the Gulf Ten Impact Zone. In other words, the bombing range. They left me in the middle of the bombing range. On, that were dropping bombs the next day. And uh, I said, "Huh, that's a clue." <laughs> I, hauled all my, I, I hauled all my stuff back to the tent. And they're all there and they're laughing and everything. And uh, I said, "All right, I get it. I'm doing something wrong. I'm not quite sure what it is, but uh, I'm going to do my best to figure this out." Because. From my point of view, which doesn't matter, by the way, um, I thought I was a great guy. What did they see? They saw self-centered, narcissistic ass um, because I was not making it about everyone else but myself. I was trying to make myself look good. I was trying to make myself look good, and, and I must have been doing it in a way that took away from others rather than giving to others. Um, so that was, that was a, a great lesson in, all right, I, I need to shift something in my life. I need to figure out. And it became my lifelong journey. Uh, uh, and and that's, I, mean, I call my three books I wrote, my, my manuals on how not to be the self-centered moron I was born to be. Um, because, you know, you got to get over that ego. You got to get over that vanity. You got to get over the, the need to be better than someone else. Um, just figure out how you can be a resource for someone else. That's what leaders do. Yeah, absolutely incredible wake-up call. Now, if you could give our listeners just one piece of homework, one action step to take away from all of this, what would be that one thing? Uh, I'm going to give you two. Um, these are my favorite <laughs> things. I, I love when people can start doing this. I guarantee you, I guarantee you it's going to start shifting the relationships in your life to a positive way, and it's going to make a big di difference. Number one, start seeking the greatness in others. Find it. Everyone has it. And if and it might not be professional, it might be personal. Find out what they're awesome at from their perspective. And because when you can start and focus on that, you're going to give yourself a great positive confirmation bias with other human beings, which will make you interact in a more positive way to begin with. The second is start discovering their priorities. If you can identify at least one thing every week someone does well, and if you can identify two to three of their priorities that week, and now once you identify their strengths, you want you to identify priorities, think to yourself, how can I be a resource to make their lives easier now that I know these things? And if you start doing those couple simple things, you're going to start seeing a, a drastic shift. By doing one of those things, you're going to start seeing a shift gradual from people, you know, seeing you in a more positive light and relying on you as a resource for them in their life. Because when you start building relationships, it's literally healthy relationships that are solving all your personal challenges in life. I always say this, you know, you can have the greatest genetics and biology on the face of the planet, but if you don't have relationships, you might as well be a moron on a mountain by yourself because it's relationships that are going to solve your challenges in life and likewise for someone else. And so the way you build them is start by doing those two things. Absolutely love that. Now, before I ask my final question, where can listeners connect with you online? 
Great. It's, um, I love sharing it. My website is peopleformula.com, all one word, peopleformula.com. Um, sign up to the People Formula community because I'm about to start hosting some uh, free 30-minute webinars in the coming weeks. Um, also, I have online learning classes there. I've got webinars you can sign up for. Other podcasts, you know, I'll put this one on there as well. Uh, lots of free resources as well as uh, if people want to give me money, I'm always willing to accept that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> My final question, what does it mean for you to max out your life? Um, in today's, my answer for that today is kind of what we we're talking about at the very beginning. Um, to max out my life is, is being the best husband and father I possibly can be. Um, I love it more than anything in life. And luckily I, I take my lessons of being a father, which is basically a teacher, mentor, and guide and doing my best to share that and my lessons learned with everyone else. That's how I'm maxing my life. You know, Rowan, I love this so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Max. I really appreciate it. Great questions. All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this, you know, passively just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, a friend, a loved one maybe, that you think could benefit from this content, please consider you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them, as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.